G'day, hobbyist Anthony, iOS Coach here, bringing you the next episode of Down Under Sigma with some very cool people talking some very interesting things. I can't believe we're on episode three already, and wow, uh, we don't have one of our guests already. Who are we missing? Or maybe who's on the line? Are you trying to introduce me? That, that That's a good start, <laughs> yeah, let's... Far out. Liam's not here already and the whole world's kind of coming to burn. Yeah, Liam needs destruction wherever he goes. I'm replacing Liam. I'm going to talk like Liam and impersonate Liam for the entire show. So I will be vibing things today. What's your best, um, what's your best Liam? That's my best Liam. All right. <laughs> I think uh, before we went, we went on stream, Hayden had a pretty good Liam. Uh, he did a so- pretty good Liam. Oh, the uh, I don't need to get my hair out for that one and just be like, uh, I'm sure you could, pull out, I'm sure you could pull out the fringe and like just have the the look that's not even close. I don't vibe it, yeah. Hayden, you gotta talk shit- I don't yeah. vibe it. I'm uh, vibe it. hi, I'm shitty Queensland Liam. all right not what you said before (laughs) that's not what you said before but so uh today's episode liam cannot be here he is working he's taking some some cool photos that uh, i'm sure we'll all be interested on instagram but the poor boy is working but uh today we have um hayden walker say good day hayden hey guys how you doing we're good thank you how are you (laughs) <laughs> and, and we've got Dan Brewer, who uh, probably needs no... In- Actually, in fact, both of you guys probably didn't need no introduction. So um, you've either been on this channel or you've been on other channels. Um, uh, Dan, you've probably been on Doom and Darkness recently with some Skaven reviews with Tom. Um, so you guys are probably well-known in Australia. Um, how are we both? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. <laughs> Thank you. We prefer AOS <laughs> yeah. Media Darlings, actually. <laughs> Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. All right, I'm going to move forward. I miss Liam already. Uh, (laughs) We're going to do this the whole show. This is really awkward. I'm going to lose subscribers. I'm so close. Um, Genuinely panicking. Relax, Anthony. I'm freaking out. I'm going to. I'm going to have to get a second job from all those internet monies, and I'm not going to. Would you like me and Hayden to take over? Uh, Yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right, guys. Welcome to the show. I'm here, joined by Anthony. Anthony, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, I'm Anthony. Oh, that's, that's a bit boring. That new guest, Hayden. How's it going? I'm <laughs> um, good, Cobber. How are you? Oh, fair income. Yeah, strafe. Strafe, strafe. All right. First up, Anthony, what are we doing? Uh, cool. So what are we doing? <laughs> uh, so quick background. Um, Hayden, who are you? Let's give a quick introduction. Uh, Dan, you give yourself a quick introduction, and then we'll talk about some of the games we've played. Then we'll get to the topic. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. So who are you, Hayden? So I'm the elf bro. Um, I've been around and doing like different stuff for the last couple of years in the Sigma scene. Uh, usually mostly elves, as the name kind of suggests. Um, been playing competitively probably for the last eighteen months, and yeah, just trying to get along and have some fun, just play with some war dollies with new people. Fantastic. And Dan, uh, for people who may not know you and they've hidden from the internet for the last three years, who are you? I am the person who plays Skaven all the time. Um, Yeah, I'm an AOS player. I've been playing for about two and a half years, maybe three years. Uh, Age of Sigma. 
um, most commonly associated with playing Skaven. Um, so I've gone from being like obscure, unusual list to netlister with the release of the new book. Overnight. And in between all that, you had Tomb Kings. <laughs> yeah, that was weird as well. I went that started off being called a netlister and going to obscure army, and this is kind of the other way around. So they've almost switched places. So. Yes, I have a Tomb Kings army as well. So those are my two armies, Tomb, King and, Tomb Kings and Skaven. Awesome. So the topic of today we will get to um, very shortly is going to be around um, army building, list building, building effective armies. And there is a wonderful tool that we want to explore. Some people have done their research, Dan, have, and actually have read the book. Hayden hasn't read it just yet. So I have, gonna... actually. <laughs> All right, well... You're freaking me out already. But we're going to have some off-the-cuff discussion, um, some insights, some hopefully some things that you can take away when you're considering your next army or you're looking to improve your performance uh, by using tools and the discussion that we're going to have. Um, so I'll be curious and nervous on how this is going to go. But before we get into that, um, have you guys played any games recently? Do you want to start, Aiden? Yeah, I'll start. So, but since CanCon this year, I've been playing mainly Sylvaneth. Had a three-game one-day last Sunday um, and came up against a lovely new Flesh Eater Court army. Um, fresh, off the, uh, fresh off the Bretonian side of things and got smashed by a couple of Terror Geists and a Zombie Dragon. Uh, they hurt. A was lot. that Grizzlegore? Uh, is it Grizzlegore? The no, it didn't actually take Grizzlegore. It was just uh, just a normal one with a delusion, so he could do the pile in for free, and uh, ended up winning the game. But that's only because I put trees around the objective, so he couldn't actually get to it. So flesh eater courts <laughs> OP. <laughs> flesh eater courts are absolutely so strong. It sounds um, like trees are busted. Yeah, not wrong. Um, but yeah. The uh, Flesh Eater Court's definitely going to be something to look out for if you haven't played them yet. Rewind. Let's let's imagine you had a conversation with yourself three months ago and you said Flesh Eater Courts are about to be OP, uh, Skaven's about to be OP. You'd probably laugh at yourself, wouldn't you? Yeah, 100%. Um, unless you'd play Brill before and you know exactly how good these actual rats actually were. Um, yeah, these armies have just come out of nowhere. And just uh, especially Flesh Eaters, uh, from the get-go are going to start smashing people. And as people learn the Skaven book, I think they'll come out on top and are going to be on top for a while. They've got a lot of answers to a lot of questions. Mm. Mm. And Dan, have you had any opportunities to play recently? I have. I've kind of stopped my gaming exile. I hadn't played since November. Um, and or I played it as the Biobuster at CanCon and went an impressive 0 and 3 with my Tomb Kings, but I wasn't really meant, I wasn't really there to win. Um, since the Skaven books came out, I played a few games. I played a free game one day, uh, which I won with Skaven, uh, the monthly games cube event in Sydney. And I've been playing sort of odd games since. So yeah, some tinkering, fine tuning, playing a few different things. Um, I think both the new armies are quite cool. I actually think Flash Eater Courts were very underrated beforehand. Liam actually had a Flesh Eater Quartz army that he did really well with, which he um, stopped and is now redoing again, I believe. So um... Yeah, he was running Dead Watch um, previously. So I think he's had a bunch of flayers. Um... Yeah, he had like 21 or something. So um, I, I, think they've been, I think that list was 
pretty viable even now. Um, they've only just got better. Um, Skaven have improved in pretty much every way outside of Gatfire Scorch. So, um, yeah, I think the you'll be seeing. I think the Flesh Eaters is the more obvious choice out the two of them for people who are looking to play competitively. But I think Skaven can answer every question. It's not all on the same list. You can make like, yeah. a very powerful magic army, but then you'll be missing something else. You can make a very powerful shooting army, but then you won't have enough points for combat. So it's a lot of balancing. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to see Flesh Eater Courts are going to be consistently good. I, you know, they've got such a limited model range that um, there are going to be certain builds. And I think uh, Skaven are either going to go 5-0 and o or 6-0 and o or 0-6 o because it's so unpredictable. And um, I think there's a lot of variety and complexity. Um, so someone like Dan, someone like yourself and, and Skaven Tom, uh, I think are going to get the most out of it. But I think for someone who's picking it up new for the first time, there's definitely um, some synergies and some buffs and some styles that are quite unique to um, to Skaven. So, um, yeah. yeah. Flash Eaters are almost like Beast Claw 2.0 with the big monsters just running at you and smashing you. Yeah, which is interesting because um, I had built, um, you probably can see in the background here, I, I built the Flesh Eater Courts army um, 12, 18 months, actually 18 months ago before GBH 17, and it was a Royal Menagerie, which was three Terror Geist, Ghoul King on Zombie Dragon, and Battle Line. Um, and they were pretty strong back then. I didn't have the bodies, and there was no summoning when I started the army, but um, now that you've got summoning, now you've got, um, I can use, you know, Ghoul Kings and, sorry, no, Terror Geist and Zombie Dragons as Battle Line. Um, those restrictions are definitely gone, so. Um, I think some people feel they've been overcorrected. Um, but I think it's too early to say. Time will tell. There's some pretty ugly stuff around, like double piling in and um, the the terror geist, um, the claw attacks, which do mortals on sixes. And um, there's some there's some pretty nasty stuff. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the FAQs may do, or if they're going to be just the the daughters of Cain of 2019. Yeah, definitely think they'll potentially be the daughters of Cain 2019. Um, you're going to see some people who are new to the hobby start doing really, really well with this army, I think. Same way that people who are new to Daughters, you know, started doing really well, even though they didn't know what, what they were doing exactly with the army. So, And I've got to say, uh, I was in a Games Workshop Liverpool today to see uh, my trusty crack dealer, Deke, and uh, I got to see the the um, Skaven, uh, is it the Gnarl Holes? The, the, um, the three teleporting little The Gnarl Holes, yeah. yeah. The they are... To build. They are bigger than I expected, and they they're look massive. Awesome. They're, they're massive. really annoying to transport, and they break really easily. So they're horrible to build, as a warning, but they are quite nice terrain pieces at the same time. Um, yeah, they're, they're bigger than people expect. I was saying to Deke that uh, if I was going to do that, I definitely want to make sure that I didn't glue the tops to the bottoms to make it easy to transport. You don't have to. They slot in. So it's, actually, it's quite a complex kit, but if you don't glue them in, you the way I'm transporting mine is in the box it came in, and... You, need, you don't have to glue any of the scaffolding in at all. They just slot in, yeah. so, which is good. They've thought about transport, which is why the kit is so complex, I think. No, great. And uh, and I, I had a uh, – I, I saved my best performance. I think I messaged Hayden straight after it, and I <laughs> said, uh, Hayden, I've brought shame to my family. I'm going to quit and uh, rebase my models to square bases. Uh, um I've, I've got to reconsider my life decisions. Um, I'd played a, well, essentially a one day. I could only do one day. Uh, and I went zero and three with my gloom spite and uh, I was uh, horrified. But um, 
but I think that was me making poor decisions and poor choices, uh, less the list. So, um, uh, just some really like I've been playing around with some new models and not remembering synergies, not remembering to activate uh, my sneaky snufflers and um, forgetting my war boss rangers and just you know those little intricacies that uh, it takes time. So uh, was not a happy chappy to go zero on three, but uh, the only way is up. Yeah, it just comes with practice. We're playing on Saturday, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So, so Dan and I, so I, uh, Dan's coming to a games club. I partially challenged him, or I was the default player because Ben Spaghetti can't play. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the full capability of Skaven in a in the hands of an awesome general. So, oh, thank um, you. In two weeks' time, I'll probably be crying about that. So, how my ass was still whooped from Dan. Um, <laughs> But I want to get into any other games you guys have played before we kind of get into the core topic. Uh, not really. I've been trying to hobby a bit more. What Same. have you been working on? Um, I've got a mate's army that I've got to paint for BrizzCon, which is a Ideneth Deepkin army. So I've been working on that. Um, I've been working on my army for the Australian Championship Heats, uh, which potentially I still need another third of the army for um yeah just little things trying to do a bit more hobby side this year than gaming as much so and dan we can literally see you working on something now what are you currently working on i'm basing a square acolyte which used to be a poison wind model now poison wind models don't exist that means every model is two acolytes oh. um yeah i'm basing skaven basically <laughs> Love it. And I'm, uh, I've been currently working on uh, what I think is going to be my Adepticon army. So uh, in two weeks' time will be our last episode for a little bit when I go over to America, go playing at Adepticon. So I need to decide what I'm taking, what that list is, and actually practice with it. So, Dan, I think what I'm going to play you with is going to be my Adepticon list. So let's see uh, if I'm going to do well or if I'm going to get uh, a bit at the bottom tables with drinking with Americans. If it doesn't go well, you can borrow my Skaven. Uh, <laughs> they take you Tomb Kings, actually. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> actually, no, I think I had to submit a list to say what I was going to um, to bring, and I think I said destruction, so... Yeah, I can't help you. Yeah, hashtag. Uh, maybe, maybe go get a cunning rock. Yeah. Um, so let's get into the topic. Let's get into the core of it, and um, I'm going to share screens and just bring up uh, the Honest Gamer workbook. So, um, so for anyone who doesn't know what this is, um, Rob Signs from the Honest War Gamer had put together a resource about uh, two or three months ago um, that was really much a comprehensive guide on on looking at your army. And you know, we've all gone through it. We've got some ideas and some thoughts that we are going to. Um, to share and um, I think for for people on the line kind of listening it's going to be interesting to see um, how we all as competitive players um, look at our army build our army our army preferences and um, might be a bit of soul searching in between as well I, I might have to get a box of tissues and um, you know reveal some deep deep uh, inner thoughts boys are you guys excited are you, are you ready Excited. ready for the tears he's hear the congruency between you lot <laughs> So I'm going to 
Strength. Strength. I'm going to scroll down. So this is the workbook. Uh, surprise, it's a workbook. Um, so if you guys don't know The Honest Wargamer, it is a wonderful channel. Rob Symes uh, puts on content almost every day. Uh, very, very fascinating. Talks about Sigma, talks 40K, does stats. Great. Um, I, 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 we're doing a whole show on Rob if you guys wanted to do it, but uh, we're talking about the workbook here. So first things first, uh, boys, you can see the screen. I don't have to zoom in any more than... Uh, we're doing a whole show on what you guys want to do it, but, that feedback. Uh, I that can feedback, hear, I can hear myself. Uh, that is not good. Uh, so we got the we got the workbook. So um, you know this this is something to consider whether you're a new player, an existing player looking to get better, whether you're thinking about starting an army. Um, so let's start off, guys. You know when you're thinking about your armies, and um, Dan, you've obviously been Skaven for a long time, and you're thinking about redesigning it to the new book. Um, Hayden, what are you currently working on? Uh, so I'm working on a Stormcast Eternals army. Great. And and you've played with this for a while. It's something that's brand new. I've dabbled in Stormcast a little bit over my time playing Sigma, but never really taken them to an event. Great. So you're relatively new to Stormcast. Yeah, exactly. And myself, I'm, I'll am i probably represent somebody who has been playing with uh, Gloomspite, or I played with MoonClan for a few months before the book dropped. Uh, I've I went played it at CanCon. I've played it at a couple of other events. Very inconsistent with my results, whether it's uh, 3-0 and or 0-3 or, 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 you know, 50% win rate, you know, very much up and down. So I'm looking at how do I build an army that works towards the way I want it to play uh, and get a really good result. So I think... I think you're going to get a, an interesting mix. So, what are our um, what, what are the aims of the armies that you guys are, are currently playing with? So, open that up to the floor. I've got a new book, so I'm just really trying to make the most of the new units that probably weren't as viable beforehand. So, um, I'm wanting to use Scryer Acolytes or the Poison Wing Globe videos a lot more. I've also built and painted a Doom Wheel just because it's it it was terrible before, but um. Really, it's just I want to find um, opportunities to do something different and then kind of build around it. So see what... Sometimes I'll pick like a couple of units and be like, okay, I want to use this. Uh, and then I'll build the rest of the list around it to compensate for the shortcomings over what I'm trying to test. So um, yeah, it's kind of hard to say, but everything all has to kind of work together. Like you can have things in isolation, but if you're coming across different problems, um, one of the main things that I think about when I'm riding an army is if I've got to have a higher number of drops and somebody forces me to go first, can I do anything? So if they outdrop me and make me go first, is there actually something I can contribute? Can I do any damage from across the table? So that's something I always try and consider. Um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily have, sometimes I'll see lists where you can be low drops and that can be your way around it. But, um, a lot of deepkin lists I see quite often. They don't seem to have a plan if you make them go fast other than just shuffling boards. Um, but then there's other builds you can do where you like, take yours off the table and you charge right away or whatever it is you may be. So, um, yeah, I'd like to pick things, try and compensate for its shortcomings and then make sure I always have something to do is probably kind of a generic overview of how I write my list. So. Great. And and Hayden, what are your what are your aims with your Stormcast army given that this is one of your first outside of uh the elf faction? Yeah, well, I'm trying to take more of the uh, a few of the older units again just to do something different, not just take 
here's my two units of 20 sequiturs and unit of 20 evocators and ballistas and whatever. Um, just want to try and take a mix of the liberators and all that just for something different. But it is a competitive army, so I am trying to make it so it is hopefully does well at a competitive event. And we'll, and we'll definitely get to this, but I know one of the discussions we've had is this is an army that you uh, want to travel with, given that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you travel a lot, you've played a lot of games, and um, I'll, I'll let you explain more. But Yeah, so it is an army that I do want to take because there's an event that uh, Mr. AOS Shorts is running later in the year, potentially, over in New Zealand. So I'm trying to find an army that I can take over there and it'd be nice and easy to transport and not have any issues because, like, when you're taking stuff like your Dickkin or your Daughters of Cain, they're all really fiddly models and are usually going to get broken on the way. So Stormcasts are a bit more sturdy, easier easier to take. So for you, it's something different, something that's easy to transport. And yeah, that's it. Performance is still important to you. Yeah, that's it. I don't want to go and travel and then get my get my bum handed to me for five games and then not have a good time. Yeah, fair enough. And my goals for the, the Gloom Spite is to is um, probably more of a hobby challenge. So uh, really putting more time, more effort into the into the, the grots, uh, but also having fun with different colours, um, different play style, um, and having some good laughs when um, the squigs go wild. Um, and anyone who may have seen um, some of my Twitter posts recently, I'm building uh, an, an interesting squig-style army. Um, so... I think that's me. What's the aim of my army? Um, and then, like, as you start to kind of break this down a little bit further, you start to think about uh, what type of gamer are you now? Um, Rob has kind of defined, and Rob and the team have defined a whole range of different types of gamers. Where whether you're somebody who, and and you know, feel free to look at the book. Whether it's the way you like to control, you're a mover, you you know, you're quickies, you're a wombo combo, you're a math hammer, you're a gambler. You know, each of these uh, descriptions um, are a bit of a combination. Um, whether you're using this particular um, description or your own description, maybe I'll throw it out to you boys. Um, what type of gamer are you? What do you like to enjoy? How do you like to, to build your armies? Like, what type of gamer are you? You go first, Adam. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that, if you go down a little bit, Anthony he says really, really well, is that it's not about you just being one type. You can be all of these, and it's just traits that you can potentially have, you know, across a range of armies. Like, I know when I play my Sylvaneth, I'm more of a controlling player because I like to debuff people out of playing the game. But when I'm playing my Daughters of Cain or my Ideneth, I'm more of an alpha strike or a quickie, you know, and like, and I like all my combos and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely different traits depending on, you know, the army that you're playing. It's not just about the player. Yeah. And Dan, what what type of player are you? Or do you have a, a, any preferences you enjoy? Uh, it kind of varies. Like what Hayden said, I don't think you can really just pick one of them and say, this is me and this is definitively me and none of the rest of them apply to me at all. I don't think that's really possible, but... Uh, it depends what army you're playing because different armies are good at different things. If you're playing Sylvaneth, then the sort of controlling side of it really suits the style of play really well. Skaven, it suits them really well. But I would never try and do that with my Tomb Kings. So it kind of depends what you're playing. Um, 
the way I've seen it, the reason why I like my two armies is one of them is a bit more brute force and one of them is a bit more strategic. Um, I mean, Skaven is a lot harder. Um, but yeah, it would kind of depend. And the other thing, like, the reason I like Skaven, the reason I haven't really deviated from that match is because of the different clans. You can play them a lot of different ways. So you could have like a shooting heavy army with very few models, or you could have like a huge horde. So um, that's why I like the range so much. Um, it'll depend. There are certain things that I always want to make sure I do. Like I said before, I always want to make sure I have something to do if someone makes me go first. Um, I always want to have some sort of ranged threat, whether that's shooting, magic, or whatever it may be. Um, I always, there's always something I want to do reliable damage, and whether that's through a combo or just through the unit being self-sufficient. Um, for example, the Necropolis Knights and Tomb Kings, I know if I put the right buffs on them, they're going to kill something. Uh, in Skaven with the Gisales, I know if I use them properly that they're quite reliable damage. So um, probably certain things that I can have realistic expectations of to do relatively well. Um, there are other times, though, where I care less about that just because of what I'm trying to achieve. If I'm trying to achieve like a tournament winning list, then reliability is one of the biggest factors that I would look at. So right now I'm looking at a Doom Wheel because I think it's funny. So... <laughs> Um, depends. Yeah, and and uh, and obviously, um, it is going to depend. Um, I probably have some preferences, and um, exactly to Hayden's point, um, I don't think anyone is one particular uh, trait. I think I'm probably when I looked at this and I went through the exercise, I'm probably I'm probably a combination of the four. So um, just working from 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 bottom up, um, I think I'm on the money. So. Uh, I think for me, when I look at something like my Free People's Army or my Order Army, um, I really love um, my Carmine Dragon, which is a Forge World model. I look at my Destruction Army, and I've got uh, a Troll Hag, which is a Forge World Army a model. I have one to two Colossal Squigs, so again, Forge World. So uh, I don't mind spending the money to get the type of army that I really want. Um, mm. I'm a Hero Hammerist. I love um, heroes, especially the big beasts. Um Big fan of those. My my, I mentioned earlier, my Royal Menagerie uh, is very uh, hero focused. Um, uh, my Death Army that, that I was running for about six to nine months um, was certainly centered around Manfred and and uh, maximizing some hero um, ambushing. Um, but then I I look at something like the Wombo combos where my free people definitely had some interesting synergies between the Great Company, the Allegiance abilities. Um, throwing in some interesting combinations like the Knight of Zeros and, you know, really trying to maximize those those combinations of hold the line and um, uh, being able to shoot either in my my shooting phase or my opponent's charge phase. So um, that's probably how I looked at my armies. Boys, is there anything else you want to add to the traits before we move on? I would say the math hammeristers are the ones that I take most umbrage with. <laughs> uh, and the gamblers, just because um, I feel like you need to be able to apply what you're doing outside of just calculating um, yeah. the numbers. Uh, I think most people do anyway, but uh, if you're just saying, okay, I've got this unit of like 20, and if all of them get in and all of them attack, this is what's going to happen. It's like, well, the game doesn't always work that way, the way that it translates. So um, when you're actually playing, like you're not always going to have that perfect charge and that perfect situation where everything gets in. So, um, I think that's something to consider if you are sort of one of those people. I don't think it's wrong inherently, but um, I think a lot of people make too many assumptions over the conditions in which they're playing in. Um, 
and then if you're a gambler then um sometimes it's going to go your way sometimes it's not so um, and i think you see math hammerous as well when um when they're trying to work out like out, output potential and they're saying well you know 40 40 skeletons with you know van hale's dance macabre and exactly all these combinations is like well what's the likelihood of you getting 40 models into combat you know having the free rank yeah exactly so okay. so like yes the, the potential is maybe 120 attacks but the reality is is that uh that may not be the situation or you may not have you know these perfect um things may li- not line up so math hammerous i think that's a really good call out but also knowing potentials as well yeah exactly it's not entirely yeah. invalid um but it's a common mistake where people are assuming that, oh, if I get, like you said, all 40 skeletons in twice, it's realistically, that's not really going to come up very often. Well, the second time they're all in, you, the first time is rare. And so, um, so I think that's fine to do. It's good to know your potential. Um, but also applying it is a huge part of the game um, as well. So, Yeah, absolutely. And this is the stuff that you might want to consider as you're building your armies. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Dan, that uh, you you have a tendency to, to kind of go for reliable things in tournaments. Well, you know, if you feel like you're also a gambler, um, then you're either going to be um, either challenged at the table, kind of in a conflicted, or the armies that you build, you may not find that stability or, uh, you know, the, 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 the numbers may not stack towards your favour, um, depending on the style of army you play. So, um Depends what you're gambling on. If you if you have some units which are reliable, and then you have others which are swingy, that's fine. Um, yeah. And if I your entire that... army is gambling, then don't expect consistent outcomes. So. And as a Skaven player, you're definitely in that spot where things can swing um, pretty pretty crazy. Is that right? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you can actually build a very reliable Skaven army. Um, funnily enough, but. Yeah, um, I never used to take the cannons. The big things people always used to take for Skaven were the Walk Lightning cannons and Storm Fiends. I never used to take either. Um, I took more reliable choices in my mind, and I think that's why I did so well with them. Yeah. But I'm at the point now where um, I don't really care where I finish, so I want to just take things that are fun. So I actually built and painted a Walk Lightning cannon. I finished it yesterday. Probably the first major time I'm using it at an event. But... Um, Again, I don't care if it doesn't work. There's a good potential to kill itself in the first turn, and it may or may not do any damage when it does that. But um, I know that when I'm using it, so that's what I've signed up for when I'm taking them. If I wanted reliability, I would take Giselles. I think they're the better choice. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. Every now and again, it's going to be great. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's when, you're, uh, when you really need it, not when you don't need it. Oh, it's usually when it fails. <laughs> so a couple of other questions you might want to consider in the pre-army building phase is going to be, do you have a budget in mind? So, um, uh, you know, if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of hobby funds, you've got to ask the partner for permission, uh, or maybe even just thinking about um, the way you build your army. I think um, time and money is definitely a factor. Um, Is there a tournament coming soon? So, um, Hayden, you mentioned earlier you're building towards the GW Championships. Yeah, that's it. So that's the, that's the first uh, Australian events that Games Workshop's putting together through the Mount Gravatt store. Um, so how long have you got between uh, the championships? Well, I've got to paint two individual 2,000-point armies between now and the start of April. And that's because you're commissioning one and doing one for yourself? Yeah. So for yourself, you're think, I'm, I'm imagining some of these things are going to be relevant to yourself? 
Yeah, so they're one of them's the the Stormcast army. The other one is the Deepkin army. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> how, See how, how, get it all done. How do you tackle that? How do you factor in painting requirements? The time between now and then, even having the the, the hobby budget and um, and allocating the time in order to get that stuff done. I go out and buy an airbrush. <laughs> um, you know, for, for realistic purposes, I'm going to buy an airbrush to go so I can paint the Deepkin army quite quickly um, because it's an army with 18 eels. So, it's true. yeah, it's true. So eels up inside you will be uh, coming to BrizzCon. And so they're mainly going to just be the one color. So it should be easy just to airbrush or rattle can. Most of those guys, um, it's the Stormcasts are going to take a while because I decided to paint a white army to challenge myself hobby-wise. So, yeah. And are you going for a uh, – and this, this terminology might be new to some people, but are you going for a tabletop quality? Are you going for a tabletop plus? Or are you going for, like, Golden Demon style? Uh, definitely just tabletop, I think, at this stage. It's one that I'm going to work on towards that New Zealand event over the year um just getting it to the stage where it, it, it should get full painting points but i want to try and get that those painting norms and at least get one at some stage this year yeah and dan does do any of these things come into play for yourself or um i'm imagining you have a lot of the models already that you 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 pull towards conveniently unless my army's already painted um yeah I, i'm I always see myself as a collector more that I collect Tomb Kings and Skaven. So um, it's a long-term project. I, I don't generally buy lots of different small projects and have them on the go. If I do, they're probably within Skaven. Um, it's just a constant work in progress. Um, I generally just try and paint things to the best of my ability. I don't try and put things for a minimum on the table. Uh, me and Hayden are probably opposites. Like um, <laughs> in that you have a lot of projects on the go. You're jumping yeah. between a lot of different armies so you don't get bored. Um, I generally like to stick with the same because of that. Um, if I want something, and I'm quite happy to wait and save up. Or um, the other thing, what I do with my hobby is because my two armies, hobby-wise, are so different. So my skaven are quite dark and sort of flesh and cloth. Um, my team kings are painted super bright and sort of bone and uh, not armor, but different types of metallics. So they're they're so different to paint, complete polar opposites, really. Um, so whenever I get bored of one, I just go to the other. And when I get bored of that, I'll come back. Um, so, yeah, it kind of keeps me motivated. And because of that, I'm always working on the same two projects. As soon as I get bored with my Skaven, I'll paint something in my death. Um, and then once death starts to get a bit tiresome, I'll go back to my Skaven. So that kind of helps keep everything fresh for me if something's starting to wear. Um, and because I've got such a big collection of both now, um, generally, this is what's nice when you do do that, is if I want to do a new army, um, so at the list, I'm going to, I'm going to South Australia GT or SUGT, um, and three quarters of my army was already painted. Like I'm doing a unit of acolytes now. I've done a doom wheel and a cannon. I could have taken a fully painted 2000 point army that was already done, uh, and it would have been fine. But this is what I want, I want to use. So I'm just painting a squad of 30 acolytes basically and a bombardier, and that's all I really need to add. And that's only 420 points. So. Um, yeah, because I've got that approach, I can just kind of add to it. So you, it's it's hard at first, um, 
but if you stick to it, you reap the rewards later on, I think. While I imagine, Hayden, you're on the opposite side where you've got to build a list and having the flexibility of changing units and models uh, can be quite difficult with the time frame that you have. Yeah. All right. So this is something that, that I guess players should consider is uh, how much time, um, how much dollars do they have? Um, if you're someone who has a, an army idea in mind, it doesn't go to plan. Uh, will you continue running that army um, up until the event? Do you have the time? Do you have the dollars to kind of switch out models? And um, for me at CanCon, given that uh, Gloom Spite had come out within one to two weeks before CanCon dropping, some models were less than uh, seven days. Um, I just had to build the list, pick it, paint it, and run with it the best I could. And I didn't have that flexibility. So I think thinking about these times and the options definitely is a consideration um, with how you go and build this army and play test it. And we'll kind of get to that very soon. So definitely things to consider of, of capability as well. And even how much hobby time you have, if you can only allocate one or two hours um, uh, a day or even a week, um, what can you get done in that time? So um, definitely considerations. Uh, can it travel? If it does, are you traveling with a large or, or small carry case? I've got that as a consideration. My death army uh, was a traveling army and I had to magnetize my, my terror geist and my zombie dragon wings so it could travel. Um, Hayden, you've obviously talked earlier about uh, your Stormcast and um, having to... When it, when, it, when it travels, obviously Stormcast is not fragile. Is this something that you're going to do carry on? How are you going to travel with it? Like what, what impacts uh, has that put onto your army? Um, so pretty much it's just a majority of its liberators. So I can just magnetize the bottom of the base and chuck it on something and just chuck it in a, in a suitcase and take it over. So I'm not super worried about it. Right. Easy. It's obviously not fragile. Yeah. But something for like my my uh, my Carmine Dragon, definitely being a Forge World and being fragile, uh, definitely a big consideration that I had to have to make sure that um, that uh, it didn't get in, it didn't get wrecked. Um, uh, this is obviously around playing and making sure you get practice. We're kind of going to skip that. I imagine a lot of people here. Um, have are going to have um, a pool of gamers. Um, how many gamers do you have locally? Uh, you know, what armies are you going to get exposed to? Um, you know, potentially is there a team that you can provide feedback to? Some some really good things that you should consider. And and, and if you're a part of either the Sydney AOS group, you're a part of um, any Facebook group or even Twitter group, um, you can get feedback and kind of leverage that group. So I think we we as a community are quite good in that space. So. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip forward and kind of get to the actual list building piece, which is, I think, where the rubber really hits the road. And uh, this is where we start to really formulate the the army in the list. Um, so let me ask you guys, the first question is, um, what are the unique or strong factors of the armies that you're currently building, whether it's Skaven, whether it's Stormcast? Um, what, what makes them special on the tabletop? Do you want to start, Dan? Yeah, sure. Um, I think people have underestimated my army for quite some time. Um, a lot of people don't know what things do. I think that's going to change now that the book's out. But um, I take units that are considered obscure and not necessarily the obvious choice. But to me, most things, it depends how I'm playing. If I'm trying to build something competitively, everything that's in the list isn't that for a reason. But um, I find that the decisions that I just come up with naturally on my own just seem to be ones which aren't duplicated very often. So because of that, people often get caught up by surprise over what my stuff's going to do. Um, 
and yeah, I just go with what I think is going to work, I guess. Um, with some consideration before, we mentioned sort of practicing, finding um, games and things of that nature. Uh, I practiced a lot when I first started playing, a lot. And uh, it, it's all well and good if you want to build something for an event, you play that event, okay, okay, move aside, next project now. But um, if I wanted to test the unit out, I'd play a game, I'd be like, okay, this is the idea I've got. I played a game, it's gone much better than I thought. That, that idea is working, I'm going to keep that on my list. But So there's another one where um, I'm like, okay, I want to test this out, and then first game has not gone to plan, second game it's not gone to plan. Maybe I need to tweak something or change something, and it might improve. I'll give that a shot, I'll give it a go. I won't just take it out right away, but if after a prolonged period of time it's not working the way that I want it to, I take it out. So actually play, I think playing is the best like thing you can do if you want to build a better list if you test it all the time if you're playing all the time you're just making minor adjustments so okay this unit's working but this unit isn't take that out swap, put, put something else in see how that goes for you um not enough people do that and that's kind of how i learn how to play i, I consider myself a hobbyist before a gamer i've just i understand the game which is why i've done well at events but um that's how i learned to play my first few games this game did not go well i got smashed so and it just shows you it it just shows you when you when you focus and you commit and you learn the capabilities that you know you know back you know with the you know the the back of your hands just what each of those units can do yeah what to expect from them what's if i've played like 15 games with this unit i know roughly what to expect from it even if you you can start ruling out good rolls and bad rolls then over what's kind of your more consistent reliable result for that unit or what situation is it useful in and what situation does it not really perform so um not enough people do that in my opinion um too many people trying to find shortcuts if you want a budget like something like this is great because you it does help you plan um because you don't want to be buying stuff and finding out it's useless and then taking out your army <laughs> proxying is helpful for things like that too i guess but um yeah if you've got the patience the time uh, the resources to test things out properly, that would always be my advice of anything like this. I think this is useful, it has a place, but I think you should be playing and that should be guiding most of your decisions, in my opinion. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and I would fully support that if you're, you know, uh, I think the best, the best, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but I think the best games of Sigmar is really when you are immersed in the army as opposed to just playing one single list. Um, and you see those those um, those types of armies that get sold, you know, six months later because it was just a list. You get bored of the list, and then you know there's there's so much potential and combinations and styles. Um, I, I agree. Hayden, what's um, what's unique and strong about Stormcast other than uh, their Games Workshop's Golden yeah. Child? Um, I guess they're because of the fact that they've had what three or four books now. There's a lot of different. Uh, different units within the faction and they've got a lot of different uh i guess toolbox units that you can use um and it's not just the the newest is the latest and greatest you know Uh, you can go back to some of the old stuff and then bring it out and people like oh i haven't seen one of those in a while and they do amazing things like i had to play a star drake for the first time in probably what 12 months on the weekend and I forgot what half of, half of it did and it's still amazing and it still just eats your entire army. So, you know, there's, there's definitely lots of, lots of cool stuff within Stormcast that people keep forgetting because all they do is stare at evocators and ballistas. 
Yeah, and the Gav Bomb. So And the Gav Bomb, yeah. There's so much diversity in uh, you know, Skaven and Stormcast. There are so many options um available to you. I think there's uh, a world of possibilities in styles and um and um just just different army builds. And I think, you know, those Evocator bombs is just one of the the many builds. Yeah, that's it, hundred percent. Um it's and because you've got those four different uh I guess you, what are they, not chambers, bloody, uh, I'm just going to call them temples because I'm, I'm a daughter's a cane player. Um, the temples of Sigma, let's go with that. Yeah, t- temples of Sigma. Um, clans. you got those, clans, yeah, that's it. Um, you got those four different, like, factions within Stormcast or however many there are. Um, you can use these units to do different things. Chambers. So, like, chambers, yeah, that one. That one. That's um, what you said the first time, by the way. Was it? Uh, yeah, you said yeah. chambers, but the daughter's temple. But anyway, yeah. yep. So you've unlocked yeah. the chamber. Yeah, Find yeah, chambers. that's it. Another one, another chamber. Um, so you've got like all your different chambers and all that kind of jazz. Like your ballistas in your your anvils of Heldenhammer are going to do one thing, but if you take ballistas in say an astral templars list, you're not there to double tap them. If that makes sense, like because. Yeah. Just for the benefits of people who may not know what that term is, what's a double tap? Uh, so with the Anvils of Heldenhammer, you can use a command point to make something shoot or pile in in the hero phase. So you can use uh, what uh, with within range of your general. So you can shoot off some ballistas in the hero phase and then they shoot again in the in the shooting phase. So it's almost like a, a Stormcast cannon rock. That's nasty. Yeah. So when I went through this exercise myself for the Gloom Spite, uh, you know, and I really reflected on, you know, what what made my army quite unique. Um, and this was a combination. Obviously, one component wasn't uh, didn't make it unique, but I thought, you know, that um, the Gloom Spite has a lot of bodies that that can it can put on the board. Um, so it was a horde style army. Um, one thing that it, it has that is um, quite unique is just the sheer amount of debuffs that it has um, to hit, whether it's the Grots got, have got nets. Uh, a lot of the squigs have a minus one to hit. The Trogoth has a natural minus one to hit. There are spells that cause minus one to hit. Um, the the tro- There's so many minuses to hit um, across the board. Uh, I think that's quite unique um, for an army. Um, it does have some high movement potential, but also it is very random. So, um, you know, Dan was talking earlier about, you know, risk versus reward and stability. This doesn't have that. That's not the army. Um, it has high damage potential through a lot of high damage style uh, models, but again, that's a, it's a, a very random style role. Um, and I've got a lot of bonuses to cast. So the goblins, uh, the bad moon, scrag rock, um, a lot of inherent pluses to cast. So um, it does make it uh, quite easy and quite conducive to do lots of spell casting or have a lot of endless spells. And I've seen a few gloom spite armies that have, you know, a, a whole bunch of predatory spells in it. So um, that was what was made. I, I thought made uh, the gloom spike quite unique. Um, so what is your answer? So, so I might start with Hayden now. Hayden, what does Stormcast do well, and what does it do badly in? Uh, Stormcast have that toolbox feel about them, where they can just do. They're good at most things. But they're not really; they don't really ex- excel at everything, if that makes sense. Um, they're the, I guess, 
the the one thing that stands out as a weakness is just mortal wound protection. Like you've you've got a lot of armies like your death, your daughters of Cain, to to an extent, deep kin with the boats, uh, flesh eaters, all all of these guys with that mortal wound protection that just order units, the majority of order units don't have, and that's probably their one weakness that stands out to me. And Dan, from a Skaven point of view, what does it do well? What doesn't it do well in? Skaven can do anything. Um, the It depends how you build it. As I, I kind of alluded to this earlier slightly, but you can they can do anything. You could have a very powerful combat army. You could have a very powerful shooting army, a very powerful magic army. You just can't do everything in 2,000 points. So you're going to have to give and take, pick something. Um, they can be very good at debuffing. The new Ender spell is very good for that. They already kind of work very good at debuffing. The the thing that they're terrible at is they have no resilience whatsoever. Um, not even with Battleshot, because that's quite easy to mitigate now with the new book. Um, it's The answer to that is just take more bodies, because they can't take a punch. Um, there's not really anything that's... That's, the Vermin of Warps here is resilient, and that's pretty much it. So um, nothing else really in the army is capable of really sustaining a big hit. So the more they have to punch through to get to you, the better. That's kind of the solution, but it's like a non-ideal solution, I guess. Um, so yeah, the, the, you can make... They're quite a glass cannon army in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Even though that you can deploy like a big horde... Um, there's a lot of talk in the game in the minute of people finishing games on time. I, I always finish my games on time, even if deployment takes yeah. a little bit longer because my stuff dies so quickly. Or it'll kill you so quickly that the game is going to finish in time. So um, I don't really find that I have that problem. It's when you have like a big horde and then resilience and no damage that's when things take forever. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. Um, they can't take a punch, but they can definitely give one. <laughs> so. Yeah, and when I th- again, when, as I went through this exercise, uh, what does Gloom's Fight do really well, or at least the list? You know, and, and obviously um, with large battle tomes like Gloom's Fight, there is a lot of potential. But I thought about what my list does really well in particular, and what it doesn't do well. And what it does well is it definitely holds uh, its board space. So I've got a lot of models I can um, spread across the board um, quite well. I've got a lot of monster damage output. I've got a uh, a lot of debuffs to hit. Uh, which which can be great to hold objectives, especially that my battle line have those nets, and um, that can really hold me back for um, uh, you know a couple of rounds, just holding the objectives because of the sheer number and the debuffs, um, and um, the the um, fanatics can be quite an interesting interrupt combat strategy by releasing them in my combat phase and um, and kind of blocking an objective as well, so. Um, that was some of the things that my list was kind of doing quite well. And, you know, where it, where it goes quite poorly is definitely recognizing that um, I suck at Battleshock. Um, I think Bravery 4 is the base for, for Grot. So, That's yes, I can. For me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. obviously, you know, I've got a lot of um, command points uh, able to generate through Scrag Rock and the Bad Moon and, you know, making sure that I've got opportunities to put on inspiring presence. But, as, as a foundation, I really suck at Battleshock. Um, I really suck at armor saves. Um, outside of, say, the Boingrots and the um, the Mangler Squig, um, most goblins have a 5-up or a 6-up. Um, squigs have, like, a 6-up. Um, my heroes have, like, 4 wounds mostly. Um, and, and our shooting is quite poor. Um, not only do we have very limited shooting options, but... 
the ones that I do, which is just what two options, either have uh, low low output of attacks, um, or they they have a, a very hard um, to hit into wound, which ultimately means it has low damage um, output. So um, knowing that um, definitely makes me think about my list. Any anything else before we move on? No, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, great. Okay. So, sorry, Dan, anything from you? No, 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 it's I just kind of said everything. So. Cool. So um, we've obviously got things like, um, you know, which of those units do you, you know, which of the units that you're selecting are important to you? And, you know, how do you start to optimize those? Or um, have you even created some redundancy in the, you know, in, when you're thinking about those missions? I think there's a couple of really good questions here. Again, you know, how can you protect yourself from being alpha striked? Um, we'll get to the threats in a minute. But, you know, when you start looking at these, I guess, these next four questions, is there, is there anything that comes to mind or considerations in the list that you guys have built? Um, I think my biggest two things when I'm building a list is what are my hammers and what are my anvils? Um, so what is going to go out there and do with the damage that I want to do and what is going to like, hopefully not die. Um, so, and that's breaks down into like the, you know, can you be protected from alpha strike? Well, I need an anvil to protect myself from being alpha strike and then I need to, well, these these are my threats that are in my army versus what can handle threats from other armies and all that kind of stuff. So give us an example of the list that you're building. And, you know, cause again, a hammer and anvil is a, a very traditional wargaming uh, terminology, but some people may not know what it actually means. So if you think about your army, what is a hammer? What is an anvil? Uh, and, and how does that all kind of work for someone who, Again, may not know yeah. what you're talking about. So, like, in my daughter's a cane army, my hammers are my cauldron of blood as well as my two units of ten witch elves with double blades, whereas my anvils are my units of witches with shields because they've got a four-up save as opposed to the six-up that the ones with uh, double knives have. But the ones with double knives pump out a lot more attacks. So there's... They're my kind of hammer and anvils in that list. Great. And have you thought about some of the roles that you need your um, your units to play? Uh, in the Stormcast list, yes and no. I'm still trying to tinker with it a bit, but it, it, it's kind of hard. I'm, I try and make each unit be able to do something on its own, and it makes list building really hard. <laughs> And what about synergies, Doug? Have you um, are there ways to optimize the the army's performance with synergy, or are they a, a unit? A, are there units that uh, don't require synergy and they and they act independently? Yeah, well, synergies are a big thing, no matter what list you take. Um, but at the same time, you need to be able to have units that are still able to either survive or output damage if those synergies don't go off. So, like relying on spells especially in a in a meta where we've got all these armies that have bonuses to unbind or negatives to cast or you've got nagash with eight eight unbinds and plus three to unbind you know magic's really hard to get off at times whereas prayers seem to be a bit easier if that makes 
a bit of sense because you yeah, don't have I mean, that opportunity. I mean, you, you've got some auto unbinds as well from, um, from the Night Encantor. Night Encantor, you've got, uh, I think, uh, the Blades of Corn have uh, a blood tie where you can kind of dispel. Uh, Lord Croak um, has an auto dispel, so, uh, and they're board wide stuff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the um, the prayers, nothing can stop them at the moment. So prayer heavy lists are something that I generally try and build as well. Dan, what about you? How about yourself? How do you look at your army when you when you factor some of these questions? Um, I'm slightly triggered by the term win condition because I think that's bullshit for lack of a better term. I don't think you can say if I achieve X, Y, and Z when I'm playing this game, therefore I'm unstoppable and the game is mine. Uh, your army should be adaptable. You should have multiple ways to win. You yeah. should be adapting it based on what your opponent's doing. You should be more dynamic. It's it's too easy, almost naive to say that if I do this, then it's the game is mine. I, it's not how the game works. But um, the ro- but the roles of your units can change. Let's say, for example, you've got uh, you know duality of death versus scorched earth. A duality is something that rewards you based on heroes. Scorched earth, you want to protect units around uh, an objective. Well, in a way, you're kind of proving my point, because my whole point is when people use that term, um, I've heard people say, if I do this, that's my win condition. It's like, well, your win condition is Scotch Death, and your win condition, duality of death, are going to be entirely different, because one of them is about protecting monsters and heroes, and one of them is about units and speed. Yeah. So um, that's why I don't like the phrase, because I think if you're building your list and saying, if I do this, you're not applying to the scenarios of the game, you're not thinking about your opponent or what they can do. And also, um, I think a lot of people, when it comes to synergy, think what happens when everything goes right so I think Hayden alluded this to us earlier. If the synergy is not there and you take something away from it, can it still hold its own? Can it still do something? Is it reliable? And that's what I was saying beforehand about reliability. Yeah. Uh, if your spell doesn't go off, if your prayer fails, well, prayers are a bit more reliable as we were talking about, or if um, that hero dies, are you still useful? Um, I would say that's probably much more important. Um, and also you should be picking things that enable you to do different parts of the game or you have different units that are built for different things in a set way so like, i'm not going to use clan rats to try and bulldoze someone but i'm going to stick 40 in an objective uh, and if you come near them i'm going to shoot you so um yeah that's kind of how i view it um you need to be dynamic it's not that simple or black and white um there are certain things you have to consider like there are a lot of armies out there at the moment that can hit you right away um there's some people who feel that you need to be able to do everything in every phase and i think that's not necessarily true as well i think the gash lists are doing just fine without a shooting phase yeah i do think you need the ability to hit behind a line um yeah. and that's where marathi comes in or um deep can have a few other ways of their mortal wounds and some of the eels and they yeah. Can, um yeah so i just think um you need to be dynamic and consider what your opponent can do and um, have something that, again, it comes down to reliability. That's why I never used to hit the cannons, not reliable. Um, you can't count on them to kill a hero, but I can count on Giselles to delete that unit. So, um, And they don't need a hero around them to do it either. So, um, yeah. Another thing is as well, like I know if I put my Verminald Warp Seer in the middle of my army, um, he's not unkillable, but he's pretty hard to kill. And if someone targets him enough, he's a good decoy. Like If someone goes for him strong enough, Pro- if they're going to kill him, they're probably putting everything into him and they're not killing anything else in Miami. So I'm going to make sure I have someone to punish them for trying to kill him. So, uh, and I do have that in Miami. So if someone really wants to get rid of my warps here, they probably can, but the same with Daughters of Cain. If you really want to take up the cauldron, you probably have 60 witch elves running at you unharmed. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, pick your battle. Give, give them basically as difficult a choice as possible. If you just have one unit, and this is something that... Um, 
I used to find when I played Chris Tart a lot is he used to have this big unit of Chaos Knights. I was like, that's the only thing in your army that did damage. He's changed it since. Um, I know if I charge like, your hero next to it and just leave one clan out within just under three inches of one of your knights, you have no damage in your entire army. And I did that to him three or four times in a row. And um, then he's like, okay, I'm going to take two units of ten knights and all of a sudden it's not so easy for me to just shut him down. So I think having multiple targets and multiple threats is important yeah. as well. Um, yep. I think if you just have one solid like alpha, was it death style unit people use that yeah. word for? Um, eventually you're going to come across someone who can deal with it or shut it down in some way, and whether it's negatives to hit or whatever, um, you need a, a plan B, essentially. You just have yeah, multiple absolutely. damage sources. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, those one trick ponies, while they work um, often, when they don't get uh, worked, or if you're using like a, you know, quote unquote net list where, uh, you know, we've seen this list before and people kind of get a feel of how the list works, um, it can be quite difficult to um, reposition your army or, or, or play the scenario a different way if you've built for redundancy or you've just kind of gone once. Um, when I look at my army and I think about some of the considerations I've had, um, one of the big changes I've made over the last couple of weeks is around the uh, the optimization and the benefits of synergy. So uh, I was running around a bunch of grots, whether they were 40 grots or 20 grots or 60 grots, and they're okay. I was using them to, to kind of chaff up and um, deny people either my juicy targets to hold objectives uh, to just, you know, generally use board control. But I've recently included a, uh, a unit of Sneaky Snufflers and I've added a, uh, a Loon Boss and that will allow me to uh, increase the attack profile by one. So my 40 unit can now do two attacks each. And when combined with the, the Loon, uh, the loon uh, Boss with a command point, uh, uh, auto, uh, sorry, sixes to hit, so uh, natural sixes um, to hit, uh, cause a mortal wound in top of. So... Um, I've started to play with potential synergies and getting more out of uh, those goblins. Um, things like my Colossal Squig, uh, it has a natural minus one to hit, 16 wounds. When it dies, it explodes and creates uh, five cave squigs. So all of a sudden, uh, that is a great model to not only do some damage, but it also can hold up an army uh, quite well. Mm. And that explosion of squigs can, uh, can go on and actually steal objectives. So... Um, when I start looking at some of the roles that those units play, it, it, it allows me to see what are the gaps or what are the considerations or how should I play it? Um, can I support it? Can I buff them? Um, I don't know. That was, that was some of the things that I thought about. And, you know, to the question, can I protect from Alpha Strike? Um, I definitely have got the bodies, uh, but sometimes is it worth it? Because, um, you know, the game has changed quite a lot. And the Alpha Strike, uh, there's so many different ways of Alpha Striking, whether it's, uh, coming on from a table edge, whether it's coming in on turn one or any turn, whether it's a summon, whether it's a uh, an objective, you know, Dan, you've you've recently got a way to, you know, uh, not quite alpha strike, but definitely move around the table with your um your your null holes. Um, definitely think some consideration when trying to deny something like that. Boys, can can you guys protect from an alpha? Yeah, I think it's completely right. It says losing before you have a go is a mistake. You need to avoid that happening and plan for someone trying it. Yeah. If if you get alpha stroke and you lose of that, then that's one hundred percent and you you yeah. either haven't built for it or you haven't deployed properly. Yeah. So what what's what's a way that somebody could uh you know, quote unquote deploy properly? 
uh, shielding your more important units, so having something that's to, that you don't mind that's more expendable, take a hit, or something defensive that can endure a hit. Um, with things coming on the board edge, you just make sure that your sort of squishy stuff is in the middle of your army, or at least not the on the very end of the um, of your deployment. So if something comes in, there's a good chance someone might roll a nine. But um, if you have your, yeah. like I said, squishy stuff sort of in the middle and behind some sort of chaff lines, that's generally the best way to do it. And also have something that if someone does try to come on the board edge and charges you, whether they make it or not, has someone that's going to punish them for trying. And that's where sort of magic artillery prayers come into that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're playing gore programs, you know not to put the bloodstick raider in the middle of the front of your army. Um, have it behind a unit of reavers so that yeah. if someone charges you, the reavers will die and then all of your solar priests can kill whatever unit has just charged them. So, yeah. So what are the most common? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I'd probably only add one more thing, and that is no, um, the the threat ranges. So you know, a lot of units uh, have to be outside of nine inches of um, when they come down. Uh, however, there are some there are some units that break those rules. So the Ripidactyls, I think, have to be outside of three. Um, yeah. Storm friends can drop into combat. I don't know if that's changed in the latest. Not book. anymore. That's why everyone's raging. Okay, so so they're previously they could drop into combat. Now they're now what? They're nine. Yeah, if you're going to use storm fiends, you're going to have to learn how to play. Um, they're nine away. They come up on a warp grinder, if, um, or they have grinder fists. So, or you can use the no holes, which come with the elite instability. But they're going to be nine nine away, regardless of what situation. There's, um, well, definitely. I know I got punished uh, recently with uh, Ripidactyls because it is uh, just outside of three. Um, so, from a screening yep. point of view, if I reconsidered the the, um, if I, I sorry, I, I made the assumption that it was a nine inch. I deployed to deny deny a nine inch. But uh, I did not deny for a three, and I got punished by uh, nine nine Ripidactyls with the bloat toad. So um, you know, had really kind of like I got punished. So uh, definitely, when I think about that, a good question is to ask: is those threat ranges? One important thing I've just thought of when you were talking. You said you got punished by nine Ripidactyls. There is such thing as overkill when you're list banning. Six Ripidactyls <laughs> will take out just about anything. If you have nine, you probably don't need to put nine in. You probably just wasted 140 points that could have gone elsewhere. Yeah, might be a reason they had nine. I'm not sure about, but um, I would not put that many in. I would put six. You don't need nine. So sometimes people overinvest in units because they're looking at how much damage potential it has. Um, and sometimes they can throw points away, and then it's stopping them from putting it into something else. Just something I picked up on what you were talking about. So sorry, but uh... no, 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 no. I, I, I agree. I, I agree because when I'm looking at my gloom spike uh, groups, the Facebook groups, you know, people are talking about do I hide five, ten, or fifteen fanatics in a unit? And if you've ever seen a fanatic, it does uh, D6 attacks, fours and threes, rend two, D3 damage a piece. So do I, you know, from a redundancy point of view, do I really need fifteen times D6 attacks? You know, with that potential, it's point of diminishing returns. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're a hundred percent right. You know, just because you found a good thing doesn't mean uh, you exploit it to to the maximum. Because uh, you wasteful. may find, yeah, you may find it's wasteful. Yeah. Um, if someone is looking at this today and they're thinking about, you know, what are the prevailing threats? What is likely to come up? What 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 are the other armies on the scene, or what what are some of those armies that you should be considering? Uh, preparing for or maybe even units you should be preparing for that either the Australian meta or uh, is currently quote unquote hot Deepkin, eels yeah, eels, evocators ballistas witches uh, 
which is Dryads in the Australian scene. Dryads is massive at the minute. Oh, yeah, and the Gash. Yeah, and the Gash. Yeah. 60 Grim Gusts. Yeah, 60 Grim Gusts Reapers. Yeah. Um, but now with Flesh Eater Courts, you're going to come up against Ghoul Kings on Terror Guys and Ghoul Kings on Zombie Dragon as well, piling in twice. So. It's your 60 Grim Gusts, just bring them back and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Dan, from a Skaven point of view, what what uh, what's hot from a Skaven? Like, what what are people going to likely take um, in these early list builds? From what I've seen, just from like a couple of WhatsApp chats that what's WhatsApp chats that I was in, and then I left again because I decided I didn't like it. But um, I've this the builds that I'm seeing people leaning towards, I don't think are going to work. So I can actually see people underestimating Skaven. If someone talking earlier today on a Reddit read about how the Skaven book is crap. I don't think it's crap at all. But um, people spamming the cannons, I don't think that's necessarily going to work out the way it, they want to. I think sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. The help at Abomination, again, that's a complete glass cannon. You can shoot it off in a turn very easily with very average shooting. Um, and people are taking a lot of these support heroes, which actually all add up to make these units that are quite cheap become very expensive. Um, so I'm expecting help at spam, um, cannon spam, um, a few other things along those lines. Um, yeah. I can see people taking some time to figure out Skaven. Yeah. Um, the, the things that seem obvious at first glance, actually, when you start building a list around, um, if you only have like an engineer to support a cannon, and that cannon blows itself up in the first turn, what's that engineer going to do for the rest, game, rest of the game? Like what Hayden was saying earlier, does it have another purpose? Or if you have a unit of acolytes next to it, then it has a purpose, it can help them as well. So um, I'm not seeing that from the list that I'm seeing with people with Skaven. I'm seeing a lot of things in isolation that are strong that are using these heroes to buff up the points. Um, suboptimal, in my opinion. But who knows? I'm expecting cannons. Lots and lots of cannons. Yeah, cannons I think that you'll, the other thing that you'll probably see is a lot of flyers as well. The crit flyers from Flesh Eater Courts. Yes, I think I think yeah. um, over time the flyers will start to overtake the terror guys, in my yes. opinion. But they think... are very, very strong. And they are what I'm scared of most from that book. Uh, same. Yep, I, I agree. Everyone's looking at Grizzledor, Grizzle Gore, and they're, they're, they're drooling at the mouth from Terror Geist. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of strong builds, and I think the flayers will come up. Um, obviously, you know, thinking about your local meta and thinking about what you're likely to see, um, you know, these are all considerations on um, if you are going to see a Nagash and a Prince Vordry. You know, how do you handle that? Do you want to start thinking about how you can handle it? Or there are some accepted realities where it's like, well, there's only so much I can control. I'm just going to have to play around with it, hope for the best. Maybe I avoid it at a, at a local games club. Um, but definitely having a consideration that you are going to see Daughters of Cain and they're going to have a lot of Witch Elves. You're going to see um, the Gloom Spites likely are going to have big blocks of uh, the Boing Grot Bounders or... Um, you know, you're going to see the Stormcast going to have their, their um, Everblaze Comet um, and Evocators and maybe, um, you know, dropping, dropping from the sky with Gav. Um, these are things that you can start thinking about. And even if I find myself in that situation, if I find myself in Nagash, you know, my over-reliance on magic may be kind of drawn back and maybe I need to start thinking about how I get some of those um, high damage dealers, especially those Ren 2 and and more, into Nagash ASAP. So the roles may change and the way I use my army may change. So uh, I think this kind of goes back to Dan and Hayden's point around having uh, a flexible strategy, flexible units and units that can do multiple things, not just one-trick ponies. 
Sounds like we've covered that question. Yes. Yeah. Then we start thinking about like, what do you want from your list? So obviously we all want to win. We want to have a good time. We want to roll some dice. We want to have fun. But there are some some other considerations you might have, whether it's you're looking for total war. You know, you want to you want to do as much killing as possible. Or, um, and I think, you know, some people are here. Dan, you're probably uh, quite good at this one, is going to be around the limited war, which is definitely around the str- strategic side, you know, and always thinking about the secondary objective as much as the killing. And I think um, that's definitely a consideration. We all love to kill things. We all love to get max kill points. But sometimes it's 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 about getting the objective and losing all your toys, but still winning on the objective. So, do you guys have a have a style or a preference or a thought on on these two? You can go. Um, I guess it's it goes back to what kind of player you are. If you are that you know gung ho, I want to go out and kill everything. Total War is what you're going for. I guess. What are you? What are you? I used to be Total War, but after playing Dan a couple of times at events and playing all these guys that have been at Masters a few times, I've gone more for that limited war style. Um, and because Sigma is an objective game, great, killing things is fun and you have a great time, but you don't win. Like, if you really want to win, you need to hold the objectives, and that's how you win games on get major victories. So. And look, if you're building a killing list, and I think, you know, a total war list is a super interesting one because with a command point, I can bring back uh, a block of, uh, whether it's Grimgast or generic summonable units from death. If, if my whole strategy is about uh, total war, you know, there are now so many things that can summon additional units that uh, I may not be able to kind of um, handle those additional. I remember I played... Uh, Blake Kerwick at uh, at CanCon, and he added something like 600 or 700 additional points uh, through summoning of um, of of crypt horrors on the table. So um, all of a sudden, it's 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 such a larger game, and um, always keeping in mind on the objective. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. Anything you want to add to this? Uh, yeah, this is one of the things in the document I don't like purely because I don't think you can. I don't think these things are opposites. I don't. I think you need to be able to do both. Um, you need to be able to hold the objectives, but if you're not able to do any damage whatsoever, your opponent will bulldoze you off them. I also think you need to, um, you can't just focus on killing someone, you need to be able to hold them, like what Hayden was saying. Um, I would go with uh, Total Limited. <laughs> just because you need to, you don't have to build an army that's entirely focused on wiping out and tabling your opponent. You don't need to do that at all, but if they're dead, it's easy to get the objective. And you need to have something that will, at the end of the day, like, okay, I'm looking around movement, but I know that my 12 yeah. Desires will, if I, I need to get rid of that unit, the rest of it I can play around. You still need to be able to go, right, I really need to be able to get rid of that unit, which is the unit that I need to take out. Yeah. Um, and that's why when you're building your list, you need to make sure that's a difficult choice for your opponent because if you're, um, if if it's easy for you, if you go, okay, if I kill that unit, then it's going to be really easy for me to get all the objectives, then you, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. But um, I, you do need to be able to pull the trigger when you need to. Um, you need to be able to do both. And I don't think they're opposites and they're framed as opposites. And I think that's maybe a mistake yeah. in the book. At, at the same time, though, you can yeah. go and play that objective game with a hyper-defensive army and not have have that, you know, damage output and still hold those objectives, depending on what army you're playing. So Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
like the Silverneth list as well. Silverneth, when you're doing dry, like a whole bunch of dryads, dryads don't have damage output, but they don't die either because with all the neg one to hit debuffs. So well, that's my whole point is if I'm playing Silverneth, I need something that's going to kill the dryads. I need something yeah. on my arm. The whole army doesn't need to be able to kill the dryads. Yeah. Something in the list needs to be able to take them out if not, I'm yeah. going to lose. And that's exactly what I'm referring to. So, so I guess like this, you need Durfu, Willari, or yeah. whoever, kind of hunters to pull the trigger for you. Yeah. You, so yeah. So this question really, it says, you know, uh, do you want to kill everything? Do you want to score objectives or both? And I think uh, what I'm hearing from both you competitive players who are very successful is that going down one path is probably not the optimal thing. You need to be, as Dan said, pull the trigger. If you want to go for the objective, you need to go for the objective. But if you need to be killing things and especially certain things to um, to to uh, win the put the victory conditions in your favor. Uh, maybe it's killing the heroes in a hero-based game, whether it's, you know, bringing down the units and so you can kind of have more models. Uh, you need to be able to do both. Um, but for some people, they may have a particular style and they want to go uh, deeper down a certain route. Awesome. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess the list that you're currently building, uh, can, you, can you do both? I think if you've got to do well, you need to be able to do both. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You always, and it comes back to that hammer and anvil thing as well. So mm. you need to have something that's going to survive and hold objectives, but also something that's going to output damage to knock your opponent off objectives if they get there first. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, these are two, you know, Dan and Hayden are, are both uh, very accomplished players, so they've kind of gone through this process themselves. So I guess for anyone who's listening to this, I'd ask you the same question. You know, when you look at your army, is it a killing army? Is it an objective scorer? Is it both? Can it do both? Um, what can it do really well? What can't it do well? Um, and then it kind of leads into the archetype, you know, each army in the style uh, that it has. There are, again, different types of archetypes and this will help you either uh, build a multi-threat attack. It might be improving the style of the army that you build uh, or even just getting a better understanding of, of how your army works really well for deployment. There's, there's so many benefits. But thinking about the style of army, you know, are you a, a castle-style army that might, you know, have a really – probably quite good at defense, you know. I think of uh, a free peoples or a dispossessed are uh, probably very good at a, a castle you know, you might have a horde, so a Skaven or um, or a, uh, a Gloom Spider probably in that horde style. You know, whether it's an elite or a mobile army might be uh, an Iron Jaws. Um, you know, there there are so many different again uh, ways to uh, to to build your army, and even thinking about how you could potentially handle um, some of these. So again, I'll ask you guys uh, your current lists or the current army that you're playing. Where, what, what style are you currently playing and um, what makes it that style? Uh, uh, I, I think it's like what we said earlier that you can't really just say you're one style and none of the others. They kind of overlap. You should be multiple yeah. styles. But um, the, the, the list that you're currently playing or the um, something that you're, yeah, what are you currently playing and, and, and how do you best describe it? Um, I wouldn't really just... I wouldn't describe it as one thing, but it, it is a horde, what I'm playing. Um, it's mobile. Um, some of the things are quite elite outside of the body. So I have elite and I have um, chaff. Um, quite glass cannony. Yeah. Uh, and focus on movement debuffing as well. Um, 
but it's hard to say. I think there's certain things that um, if you're not mobile, which is one of the things I've seen there, um, you can be mobile in different ways. You don't necessarily, it's not just movement. There can be like charge bonuses or whatever you may have, yeah. um, different deployment tactics. Uh, Stormcast aren't very quick, but they have the ability to drop anywhere on the board. So that's how they're mobile. If you don't have that yeah. in some form, um, I think you can only get so far. Well, I think of Dispossessed Dan, who uh, who plays Dispossessed, Prize of the Century. Who loses his games and mobility. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, he, yeah. but you know, one way that he kind of mitigates that is by having the pickaxe, which allows him to kind of, uh, you know, teleport yes, or exactly. bring a unit. So he's able to, while it's a, a traditionally a static or a, a, a horde or a defensive army, he has that capability of, of adding movement um, in his army yeah. in a different way. Yeah, and that's very yeah. necessary for him. And he knows that, and that's why he takes it. So. And Hayden, anything from your side? How, how do you look at your army? Man, I still have nightmares about Dispossessed Dan running his dwarves across the table and beating me a knife to the heart. Um, so let's not mention slow dwarves not being mobile. Um, <laughs> now, the, the Stormcast have a few different... Obviously, they can drop down from the sky, but then you've also got prayers like reloca- uh, translocation or whatever it is, where you can move stuff anywhere on the board again. You've got stuff in your deep kin, like your eels move like 14 inches, but then you've got uh, Royal Council, which gives everything plus three to move. Like Dan said, they don't have to be quick innately, but you, there's synergies throughout most armies these days to give you that mobility. But then that comes back to synergies in general as well. So, yeah, and and look, you know, you guys have said it as well. Uh, it depends on the style of army. So, if I look at the gloom spite and the capabilities, you know, can it castle? Absolutely, it can castle. Can it alpha strike? Well, it can't. It can't do an alpha strike. But I do have the hand of Gork that allows me to pick up a unit and redeploy it anywhere on the board outside of nine. So uh, I do have a, a, a striking opportunity. Um, you know, it has finesse. It can be a horde. It can be a lead, especially when I think of Trogoths or um, some big spiders. Um, there are there are different combinations that my army can do. Um, I guess it depends on 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 the style of build and how deep I want to go into into one of these. And uh, I think as well, like what 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 do I enjoy more? Um, you know. And I think Dan, you, you you made a really good point that you always finish your games. Yet there are Generally, plenty of yeah. horde players who um, who struggle to complete their full five. I think some armies are more catered to it. Like when if Nurgle plays death, I don't really expect either of them to finish the game, and it's not necessarily that I'm doing yeah. anything wrong. Uh, Skaven are a big horde, but they also can't take a punch for shit, so they die in droves. So yeah. you, that's how you are. But um. Yeah, there seems to be a topic recently, doesn't it? Game length, is the game poorly designed? and I don't think so, but um, yeah, some armies are quicker to play than others, for sure. Some armies will have a faster finish. And that's, if you are struggling to play your games, to finish your games, um, look at what you're doing. Why are you taking so long to finish every game? What part of your list is making it so that you're not getting past turn three? Um, yeah. Are you indecisive as a player? Um, is deployment taking too long? Like, There'll be something within your power. If it's happening all the time, then there's something you're doing. If it's happening every now and again, it's just a matchup and time to time things take longer. But um, if it's a consistent problem, it's probably something you can change. And think about that when you're writing your lists. If you are slower, like, okay, what's something that's going to be good in the first few turns? Not to store your opponent out, because it's like a shit thing to do. But um, <laughs> just so that you can 
make sure you get to play the game. So yeah, Cunning Cunning Rock's a really good example where um, some Cunning Rock players are just inherently slow because of the volume of dice they need to roll. Yes, but then sure. you've got I've met some players, um, you know, Jet, uh, you know, in, in Sydney for example, is very good at that and. You know, while you're having your turn, he'll count up blocks of dice. You know, he'll have them in containers. Um, he knows. He knows. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like the speed and just like you know, yes, this is a, this is a naturally slow army. Whether it's slow movement, lots of dice, um, lots of synergies or spells. But what can I do to speed up my game and get faster, or um, to improve that experience for my opponent? Um, well, Liam, Liam's not here, so. We can just say that they've got an app for that now, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, Check Liam, the app. Stop being lazy. Liam isn't here, but uh, depending on the players event that you're playing, uh, you may find that your uh, your uh, I was going to say game master. I've been talking too much Dungeons and Dragons with Sam O'Neill. Um, your um, your tournament organizer um, may may allow you to have a dice app. Um, <laughs> there are approved dice apps from GW. Um, I'm not saying yes or no, but that could be one way that you speed things up if your your TO has approved. Ask that. Liam on Twitter what he thinks about dice apps. Let's let's not because <laughs> let's, then, let's then, not because, the, because then Liam may not be welcome back in the future. Uh, <laughs> let's let's shame. not. All right, let's not bait Liam. Please don't bait yeah. Liam. Internet. Uh, poor guy's working, and we're already. He's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna open his phone. He's gonna like a million tweets. Um, he's watching Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> hopefully he's watching us um so I, I think you know again thinking about your army thinking of the style thinking about what you like to play and how do you uh potentially build around that yeah uh so we you know we've done you know if i think about what we've discussed so far we've gone through a lot we've gone through thinking about the the, the type of player we are and what we enjoy and how we like to play the game uh, we've looked at the, the the start of our army and building it and um and thinking about how we optimize a list, then it comes down to the practice. It's it's the it's um the preparation, and depending on the army that you're building, and you know um, Liam, uh, Liam Hayden, um, <laughs> don't mention Liam's name again. Otherwise, I'm gonna like I'm looking at I'm looking at the pack and I, I'm not realizing that uh they're, they're basically yeah. the same. Like one's Queensland, one's New South Wales. They're interchangeable. Hayden and Liam. Hayden's from New South Wales. Yeah, God, don't be that guy. You just assume my state. <laughs> you are a New South Welshman by heart. Um, but I think, you know, potentially, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, if you're going to a tournament, uh, does does this these particular questions uh, become as important? Do they kind of get brought forward in your list planning or do you just build the list and, and hope for the best when it comes to, say, the missions, the secondaries, the painting requirements and the house rules? I try not to let painting requirements dictate my hobby. I'm not ever going to do something specifically for a painting rubric. As it so happens, I generally meet it. But um, it doesn't for me. When it comes to like, secondaries and missions, I try to write a balanced list anyway. So in my mind, yeah. I should be able to do all 18 of them. In some capacities, some are always going to be better than others. But uh, if if you're insanely good um, at one of them or two of them, but you know that you're going to lose a couple as well, and sometimes you go, okay, this one's I'm not good at. Other times, you can change things. Um, there is benefit in looking at the missions and trying to tailor what you're doing, but it's not something I do. I feel like if I have to do that, then 
I'm already missing something. But if it's yeah. you know, if you go into a tournament where three out of five of them are hero heavy, and you only take a couple of engineers, then it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> so, well, yeah. an, an interesting consideration. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm going to Adepticon, and um, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of tournaments in either the UK or America, uh, or maybe not maybe not all of them. Maybe that's a generalization, but. You know what's quite popular overseas is that uh, they don't announce the rounds. Um, they don't announce the the um, mission until fifteen minutes, thirty minutes before the round commences. While what's popular in Australia is often announcing it with the players' packs, so people know what they're building towards. I, so think I think that's cool. But I've also seen ones overseas where they've had realm rules and they've not announced them, and then it. it like I saw one where like three or five of them were really heavy anti-shooting, and I was like, I thought that was really dumb. But I, I think as long as you make careful considerations, I think that's fine. So I, like I said, I try and write my lists in a way that it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so sorry, I'm just commenting. <laughs> no, but like at the at the core of it, we know that uh, that you're going to need some characters to win certain missions. You're going to need um, some bodies to win certain missions. You're going to need some movement shenanigans to kind of either chase the relocating orb to, you know, get the gift from the heavens, you know, whatever that random um, objective may be. Um, there are going to be some uh, some scenarios that have a, uh, a nine-inch gap between us. There'll be some that'll have a 12-inch gap, uh, you know, in the deployment zones. So there's commonality that I think it sounds like you inherently have already built towards. Yeah, I think so. You should consider that, that there's going to be a hero-based one, there's going to be objective-based ones, movement-based ones. Um, there's going to be ones that you start closer, ones you start further away. I think the big one for this one is Stormcast players and Turtle Commitment. But, yeah. Um, which is why I think Turtle Commitment's a dumb scenario, even though I don't tunnel things myself. Um, I just feel like there's better ways to balance the game than using a scenario to mute one army's play stuff. So... <laughs> um, it seems like there's quite common ones though. Like um, I was really happy with the new scenarios because it meant I finally didn't have to play Border War anymore. Like I really like Border War; it's still probably the best one they've written. But because I played it in every single tournament, I knew it was always coming, so I knew I had to have something for Border War. It's given a great at Border War, but um, that's probably going to be there. There's going to relocation orb seems to be at every event now, and it, I kind of hate that one as well. I really liked that one when the book first came out, and now I hate it. But um, just look at the common ones. Focal points is at most events, relocation or some sort Knife of hero based one's gonna be there. Knife of the Heart's usually there for the tire breaking too. Um Yeah. Yeah. Look what the standard ones are. So as you've kind of gone to tournaments, you start to see some of the common trends, trends. that yeah. where you know, even if it was a, you know, we're gonna randomly pick a scenario out of the the, the twenty, there are actually twenty match play scenarios. Um there you you know that, you know, there's a, a strong likelihood that these scenarios are going to come up. Um, and if not, there's always going to be scenarios that are similar in, in, in their build. Yeah, I think so. I think that's yeah. fair. Hayden, you know, when you're thinking about things like missions and secondaries, have you made list choices? Have you made considerations uh, to optimize for certain scenarios or have you just yeah. made this? Um, like I know with my, the list, the deacon list I was taking, I was taking a Royal Council in that list. So Royal Council is one that gives you the extra movement bonus with my Deepkin because literally because of total commitment because you can't take things off the side of the board. So I needed to have a way that I could get my stuff across the table still very quickly without relying on coming on a board edge nine inches out. So 
there's definitely ways to do that. Same with uh, tree, taking a unit of tree revenants in every Sylvaneth list I write for Knife to the Heart. Tree revenants so, are great. People should use tree revenants more. Yeah. Yeah. So look, these are these are some interesting questions, and uh, potentially some people don't uh, don't spend enough time on their tournament pack and, and having those considerations. I mean, if you are somebody like Dan who has been playing Skaven for three years, potentially longer, if you play them in eighth, I don't know if you played fantasy or not, Dan. I played sixth at fantasy, and then took a ten year break, and then I played it sigma. There you go. So if you're someone who's been playing their army for a long time, you kind of start to know your strengths, your weaknesses. We've discussed this. But if you are building an army for the first time or, or going in differently, think about the li- think about the missions, think about where you're likely going to play. Uh, the scenarios, the secondaries, can you uh, achieve those secondaries? And often uh, often tournaments actually have high weights on those secondary victory conditions. So uh, really do think about can you do it? Um, a prime example where I've seen people uh, put themselves in a very awkward position is that they've had a wizard with their only artifact of power. So uh, by by centralizing that one particular character, you, you know, if you are in a scenario like three places of arcane power, you've only got one scorer. So if you lose that person, you, you're potentially screwed. Um, so by diversifying, you might you might um, change that tactic. Um, so as we go through, think about the missions. Think about you know what are the victory conditions. Uh, will you go first? Will you go second? What will you do? Um, I'm somebody who doesn't take um, formation, so I'm not going to get that choice. Um, while some of you may actually, Hayden, I know you play Sylvaneth a lot. Uh, you yeah. would probably often dictate um, the who goes first, who goes second. Yeah, it, that's one of the things that I like to do in all of my lists is try and dictate who goes first and who goes second. Um, even with my daughters and my deepkin, just the lower the drops, the better. So that's that's just a personal choice, I guess. Yeah, no, look, it's a really good call. Um, so as we go through, think about, you know, and if, and if you are someone who's quite new and, you know, this may be excessive to some people, it may not be. But even just thinking about, you know, how would you deploy? What, what, what are some of the considerations? If you are in uh, most events, they run uh, mysterious landscapes with, um, you know, arcane and mystical and sinister terrain. Um, what are some of those things that you would uh, potentially go for? Um, think about, you know, how would you go for a, an objective? Think about some of these questions. You may want to practice. You may want to write it and draw up. A, a, often I like to draw up the maps and, you know, where the objectives are and the deployment zones and what my preference may be. Uh, some people may see that excessive. You may want to uh, respond to your opponent. But uh, this is a, this is a couple of exercises that you could potentially do to go through and just make sure that the army that you've built is the army that you um, uh, you think is going to um, is going to play out again? That, that math hammerist, um, making sure that um, it really works the way you want it to work, um, and then refine if you need to refine. Yeah. Um, any any points around that? Um, I guess it's. It's hard to know what exactly you said you like drawing out maps, but you don't know what terrain you're walking into as well. So, like, you could be walking into a big, say, I don't know, Warscry Citadel in the middle of your deployment zone, 
depending on what table you're walking up to. So it's kind of hard to go, okay, well, this is how I want to deploy, but um, not have that, I guess, option of deploying that way if there's a big piece of terrain in the middle of your in the middle of your deployment zone if you've got especially with with what you've got which is a horde army how how are you going to fit that around terrain and all that kind of jazz so yeah and and and, and, and knowing our scene um it's very likely there's uh, going to be nine to twelve pieces of terrain then uh even myself i have a loon shrine to put down so all of a sudden I've added an extra terrain piece. It's something that is in my deployment zone that I need to consider. Uh, or even yeah. the, the, the deployment of that, that loon shrine. Um, yeah. So uh, you're a hundred percent right. The, the ideal deployment conditions never exist. Um, yeah. Especially then you, you play a silver nether or a deep kin list who can put a piece of terrain in your deployment zone as well. And suddenly, okay, well, here's this ship that I don't want to be near because it can cause mortal wounds to my army. Or here's this forest that they can activate and cause mortal wounds to my army. So, and then you have to completely shift your, your deployment around that. The, um, the, the, the forest is probably a really good example, actually, because even though I may have an optimum uh, deployment area, that you know that landscape can quickly change from a uh, sylvaneth often go what first, which means they're going to drop their wildwoods, which means all of a sudden the terrain that was there is now going to change, and the the space that I had and maybe I had a plan for uh, no longer exists. Yeah, yeah, and with with all these armies now coming out with more pieces of terrain, like each army is getting their unique piece, we're going to see more of that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, continuing along, we've got different matchups. We've got, you know, thinking about things like movement trace to speed up your uh, the, the style. Uh, and then you've got the the um, playing the game and, and, and kind of looking at how it, it kind of play, plays out. So um, we can go down and look at some different particular ways of playing the game. Uh, but I think ultimately uh, the, the last piece that I want to spend some time on is really just the analysis, making sure that... Uh, you know, Hayden, do you have a, a, a workbook? Do you write notes? Do you reflect at all? Do you have analysis? Like, what does this process um, look like for you? I tried doing the old cheat sheet and all that kind of jazz uh, leading into Masters and into CanCon, and I kind of just read it beforehand, just getting myself prepared to go, okay, this is what I need to do each game. Um, but at the same time, it was slowing me down when I actually got to the table having that cheat sheet because then I'd refer back to it every single time. Right. And it also was began restricting my decisions of what I was doing at the table as well. So it just comes down to who you are as a player, I guess, and what, what benefits you. So, yeah. And I'll ask, I'll see if Dan uh, is, is, I don't know, Dan's been clipping and doing some, some glue stuff. And he went on mute for a minute. Um, so I might talk until he unmutes himself, but I know for myself, you know, um, often after at the end of the game, um, I, uh, he's unmuted himself. Awesome. Um, I, I, I go into deep thought and, um, you know, whether it's a win or a lose, I'm often in my head. I'm thinking, yeah, we can hear you perfectly. I didn't mute myself. It did it itself. <laughs> I, I was being polite. I muted you because you were rustling with plastic. Okay. <laughs> God. Um, I was trying to be polite. Um, okay. but like I'm, I, I'm often deep in thought and, you know, win, lose or draw. Um, I often have a good game, but I'm often in my head overanalyzing, you know, breaking things down and 
trying to think things through and, you know, replaying the situation. So for me, I'm probably less of a note taker, but definitely more of a, a you know, a thinker. Um, and then we'll try to try to um, implement those tactics um, either in the next game or even potentially in the next priority role, depending on when, when what I did worked or didn't. I always try and be in a position where I can afford to lose priority. So if I'm thinking about my first turn, um, whether I'm going first or second, um, I'm trying to think what's going to happen if I get doubled. I'm almost playing under the assumption that it's going to happen, and then if it don't happen, it's nice. Yeah. Um, so that's like a mindset I find. Um, I generally just try and follow principles anyway with that deployment and whatever it is that I'm doing. I, I don't write cheat sheets. I think cheat sheets are fine when you're learning, but if you're going to an event, and you can go to an event as a new player. I think that's perfectly valid, and you can take a sheet with you, and I think that's all okay. So I don't want to criticize that. But um, if you're trying to get better, and you're trying to be more competitive, and you're still using a cheat sheet, then it would imply to me that you haven't really learned your rules enough, or you haven't practiced enough. And if you just play a lot, you'll learn them naturally. Like, I've got a new book, and it's great, but... I already knew what all the War Scrolls did now. I've learned what the new ones are pretty quickly. I don't really. I bought like, the War Scroll cards and I just found I wasn't using them when I was playing because I already know what they do. So I've read them enough that I still go back and reference things, but um, as everybody does. But uh, if you're relying on a cheat sheet, that would imply to me that you're probably very new with those units. Um, with practice, you'll, let, you'll make less mistakes when you're playing all the time. So. Uh, it's a good tool to get you there when you're learning, but um, if you're wanting to really do well, I'd suggest that you just play a lot and you're going to learn those things naturally anyway. And the cheat sheet can help you to do that. Yeah, no, that, that's good. And look, you know, uh, a cheat sheet is great too, um, and a very, very handy tool, um, especially if you've got a lot of uh, complicated uh, war scrolls and a lot of different rules and you are in an army that's quite slow. And But it's as you said, you know, it's important to... Uh, not let it be a, a crux and just constantly just refer to it. You need to get to get to know your your numbers, your stats you're aiming for, um, the, the the common rules, uh, and, and really get to know them off the top of your hand. And you ultimately your game will get better. Um, yeah. Hayden, anything else you want to kind of mention before we kind of wrap up this um, section and we just get to the round the grounds? Yeah. Um, not really. I think overall. It's a really good the, – the book itself is a really good tool. Um, I've had a few people start up the hobby in the last couple of weeks or month or so, and this is the first tool that I sent them to. So they could go, okay, when I'm building a list, this is what I need to do. And then it they've found it really well, and they actually came up with – like my mate came up with the eel list on his own. He didn't need me to go, this is what the, the net list is. He didn't go off and research, you know. This is what it is. He went, looked at the book, looked at the looked at the uh, the Honest War Game book, and went, "Cool, this is my this is the list I come up with." It's like, well, that's the list you, you should be playing. Well done. So, yeah. uh, really interesting question that came up in the chat uh, was around some of this forward forward thinking and forward planning, and you know, when it comes to priority roles, whether it's giving away or you know taking it, um, is is planning to lose a priority that, that came naturally to you guys or was it something you trialed or practiced or uh, did it take time to um, to plan for a loss of priority? It took time for sure. Like yeah. when you're first playing, you're just like, okay, I need to win this one and every one of them matters. And they still do matter. There are times in the game where you are like, I have to win this or it's over. 
Um, but trying to avoid putting myself in a position as much as possible, I generally try and play like, okay, if I lose the next priority, I'm still okay. This is what's likely to happen. Um, I can afford to lose it. I'm still in a good position. Um, and you're on for a potential double back or just kind of pace the game out. But um, it it took time. Like that took quite a long time. I'm actually trying yeah. try to get to the point where I'm escaping more than death. With um, If I can tie somebody's units up and then win priority and then give it to them, I think, okay, well, if they have the turn now, um, all they can do is kill like a few clan rats and not really hit me very hard. Then I'll give it away every time. So um, if you're in a position where you can give it to them and you don't care, that's even better. Um, you can make people waste turns if you can yeah. position the right way. So it It's also good, especially coming down to missions as well, because with like relocating orb, it's better for you to take that second turn and give away the priority. So being in that yeah. position to go, cool, well, they took, the, they took the second turn. Last turn, I'm about to get double turned. You know what? You can have it, but I'm in that position where I can deal with it. And there are some scenarios that reward you for taking uh, that decision, even in turn two or turn three or going for the, um, for the double um, in, in particular rounds. So um, even that, that, that um, win-loss of priority um, can come down to the mission and the particular um, battle round. As well yeah. as, as you guys have said, some of worth, you know, one versus three, or I can start burning, or, you know, I automatically win, uh, you know, f f if you hold the objectives in turn three or beyond. So um, that in itself has an interesting mechanic. Yeah, I think so. I think it's something you have to think about with the game. Um, a lot of people complained about the priority role when the game first came out, and that's, for the most part, gone away. And I think that's just because people yeah. have come around to the idea that actually things are in your control and if you're in a position where you don't care if you lose it then the game is going really well um there'll be times where you need to win it but you know it's how it goes sometimes it's unavoidable yeah look i look i'm a big fan of this book uh i think it's a, a in in the show notes i've got a link to the to the workbook uh whether you take one percent or you you go from start to finish is really up to you uh the comfort level you have in the work in your own army uh, the the play style you may already have really strong self awareness and you know uh, the type of player and the types of armies and the type of units that you like to run. But for some people, especially if you are new to Sigma or uh, you you've started a new army and you, you want to kind of speed up your competency and not just pick a necklist. Um, not that necklists are bad, but maybe you want to explore your own um, your own version of that truth. Um, <laughs> Fair this thing. is this this is a tactical and strategic way of thinking about your army outside of um, just picking things. And obviously, this is a competitive lens. This isn't a uh, I've got a narrative army, or I'm picking models that I really like because they're cool. Obviously, it's your hobby. Do what you want to do. Awesome. So it looks like I think we kind of hit the hit the end of this particular part. Guys, I'm going to give some quick shout outs to some events and some and some content creators. Are there any podcasts or videos that you Oh. There's a content creator who 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 is this for the people who have no idea? If you don't know who this is, you should start watching. You should know. <laughs> don't listen to Dan. This is my show. Don't, stop listening to that. So uh, this, it's not anymore. It's his show now. This is Scabbers. It's a Harry Potter Scabbers that I got from EB Games. That attends some of my events. <laughs> so all, all of the events you go to. No, not when I play Tomb Kings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I haven't used him for a while because I can't fit him in my case. But yeah. A it's dance like show wouldn't joke. be a dance show without Scabbers. So uh, check him out. He's got a Facebook page, Scabbers. <laughs> um, he I'm, does, actually, yeah. I know. That's a scary <laughs> thing. Has he got more likes than you? Uh, I don't have a page, so the answer is yes. He has more likes <laughs> than me. So wow. by default. Um, is there any content creators that have put up some things that you want to shout out? I know there's a couple of uh, in the Australian scene that... Um... Doom and Darkness. Yep. So yeah. tell us more. I'm on there. Um, Michael does uh, a lot of list breakdowns, book reviews. Um, Doom and Darkness is a YouTube channel, predominantly. He's got a Facebook page as well, I think, and Twitter. Um, strategies, tactics, list reviews, uh, battle reports. It's good content. It's quite consistent, too. Yeah. Definitely check out uh, Doom and Clark. Darkness if you you haven't. And uh, Dan and Skaven Tom uh, did an awesome uh, Battle Tone Skaven review. Cool. Hayden, anything for yourself, mate? Uh, always got to shout out the the heart of AOS in Australia, the Toowoomba Crews. Uh, so that's Heralds of War and the Failed Charge. Uh, they are my must-goes to, to listen to anything. Um, also, big shout-out to Rob for putting out this content and from Honest War Gamer and all the content that he does put out um, is definitely something you should go check out as well. Awesome. A couple of other shouts I'll give out is uh, Grotcast. Uh, our friend Eric has put up some interesting bat reps, recently put out a Stormcast versus Megakin um, bat rep. So give him a check out. Um, Seraphim, uh, which is a new content creator, um, has been doing some amazing basing work in, in Australia. He recently put up a tutorial on resin basing um, and water effects, which is uh, awesome. Um, and I noticed uh, Measured Gaming have put up a new episode of Bush Radio, so check that out. That's a, a really good podcast. Um, there's a couple of events coming up. You've got GoboCon coming up in uh, in April. Um, March, unfortunately, you've got Saggy GT, which while is awesome, is sold out. So if you want to go to Saggy GT, uh, get on that wait list. Um, there's a couple of other events um, in the comment section below or sorry, in, the, in the show description. I have uh, a catalog of all the events coming up in Australia for the next couple of months, I think up until June, which you've got Sydney Slaughter and BadgerCon and Lords yeah. of War. So uh, do check it out. Hayden, you're going to be at Heat 1? Yes, I'm at Heat 1. And we do have uh, BrizCon as well on the weekend after Easter up here in Brisbane, which is Captain 100 Players. And it's currently, last time I checked, it was at 80-odd players. Ha, ha, no, where, it's where, capped at 100. It's actually hit the 100. It's actually hit the 100, yeah. Amazing. So funnily Queen enough, sign, in two, well, <laughs> ironically enough, you don't know this, Hayden, but in two weeks' time, I have uh, Clint Mallet and Gabe, insert last name here. Um, Hannah. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's it, Hannah. Yeah. I was, I was expecting. Uh, or Hannah, Gabe Hannah. Um, but we're going to have them talking about the Queensland scene, uh, why it kicks ass and why it is better than every other scene. So I can't wait. Um, but yeah, Bruce Khan, get on the wait list if it's available. A uh, hundred players. So, uh, biggest single event, uh, outside of, uh, CanCon this year. So, uh, good start to the year and it's only March or April. Struth. Struth. Bloody hell. Oh, that was really bogan, Anthony. Yeah. yeah. Bloody hell, mate. Oh. Yeah, we're, we're not here to rock spiders. 
<laughs> well, well, Depticon, I'm going to pull out all the Aussie slang uh, for, for these people and uh, I'm going to spin them out. Yeah. Uh, I confused a lot of uh, Brits when I went over for um, Blood and Glory and I can't wait to mess with the Americans. You're going to go um, give them a fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Uh, I'm going to do more than that. <laughs> go to Macca's, get some durries. Uh, yeah. Hit the frog. Yeah. Go to the bottler. Amazing. Crank it, crank up the goon sack. Uh, also, another shout yeah, I want to give. Fortune. Another quick Good. shout out I want to give is uh, James Lynch on Twitter has been putting out some really cool video content. Uh, so check him out. Uh, I can't remember James's uh, exact Twitter handle. It's like, I'm the best painter in the world. No, but um, James is very good, and he's been putting out some really good um, content as well. James so, Mabry? No, not James Mabry. James Lynch. Uh, he's a <laughs> Queenslander. Uh, no, James. Well, you said best painter in the world. Uh, J- James Mabry is good. Uh, don't put me in this position. Oh, uh, so everyone has to pick one James Anthony. Uh, 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 I'm going to hang up the stream. Yeah. Um, any other shout-outs you want to give before we wrap up and I go to bed? James Mabry. Shout-out to James Mabry. Oh, they put out a, a re- uh, James put out a podcast actually today uh, with uh, the, the, the Lord Mayor himself of Dubbo, uh, Matt Tyrrell, on Flesh Eater Cots. So uh, check out Mortally Wounded as well. They just put out a podcast. Um, Anthony's they... second choice, James. Yeah. Sec- second place, Ooh. James. Anthony's second choice, James. Actually, I think I've got more Jameses than that. So let, let, maybe I need to reconsider my James. So he might, he might not even be second. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I don't know. So, <laughs> speak, speaking of James, yeah, speaking of James's, James Sharman, man of my heart. Uh, check out the Eager Outcast on YouTube as well if you haven't. Check out Liam Shadowhammer. <laughs> He's working. All right. Looks like we are hitting the, the natural progressive end to this show. Uh, Dan, Hayden, uh, thank you boys very much for uh, your insights on the workbook. Uh, I'm sure everyone on this stream took away something of value uh, and some ways to rethink about their armies. Uh, hopefully I don't meet those people who watch at the, at the tournament because I'll be at zero and five. Uh, <laughs> Or maybe I've learned a few things and I can go better than what I did at uh, Halls of Heroes. If you were paying attention, you should improve. <laughs> well, I was hurting cats with you guys sometimes, so I don't know uh, how much attention I was playing. But maybe I will put it on my 16-hour plane ride to America and learn from myself. And oh, you From you. So he's going to listen to yeah. himself back, Hayden. Mute us out. Yeah, that's it. Mute us out. Yeah, it is. He's done it once already. I'm with you guys. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to not re-inviting you guys onto the channel. No, I'm sure um, uh, uh, there'll be plenty of opportunities. But it uh, just means me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm playing you on Saturday, so I imagine that the friendly game we were going to have, you're now going to shoot me off in turn one like you did the last time we played. That did happen the last time we played, but it's I not know. what we're going to do this time. You had about a bazillion Gisales uh, and... Uh, they were uh, poison wind mortars. They don't exist anymore. And and you had the Bailwind uh, Warlock and uh, that hurt as well. That was a long time ago. Yeah. It was. It's been oh, a while since we played. That That's not going to happen because I don't have Gisales in the list I'm taking and I don't have poison wind mortars and I don't have a Bailwind, so... We'll see. Yeah, get you a might chance win, to win. Yeah. You'll up uh, turn two this enemy. time. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to turn two. <laughs> you might win. I don't know. This is a new army for me. You know you're right. this way better than I do. So um, I've never played Quinn's Fight. Well, well, we'll see. Uh, well, let's see next episode if, if I'm happy or sad. 
I'll okay. be happy. It's always a good game with Dan. Yeah. I'll take it. All right, boys. Struth. Struth, bloody hell. Cheers, Hate Cobbers. All right, cheers, Cobbers. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much. This has been a long outro. Uh, have a good night, yeah. and uh, we'll chat to you next fortnight. Fair See you, too.